With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This crowd rises to its feet. Picaro slammed it home. Garland left wing, three ball. Perfect. Garland in front of the lane, locked. The Mobley, pow! And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Pow! With the left hand and a foul! Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media Family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Chase Down is presented by Fubo, the official streaming partner of the Cavs. Watch over 350 channels of live sports and TV, including Bally Sports Ohio, without cable. There's no cost and no commitment. Try for free at FuboTV.com slash Cavs. The Cleveland Cavaliers have lost two straight games against the Milwaukee Bucks and Toronto Raptors in similar fashion. And joining me today to discuss it is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'm dragging ass, buddy. Uh, <laughs> uh, your boy went out for New Year's last night uh, with the wife. He got a hotel room and everything. First night away uh, since uh, since the little one's been around. Uh, so, you know, uh, got after a little bit. Not too much, but, you know, I could have used, an early, water, used buddy. an early bedtime. I'm, uh, I'm, tonight. I'm disgusted. Um, but, but here we are. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm here, though. You know, I'm playing Hurt. Um, but you know, like the, like the greats, I feel like the, the best case scenario is you don't even notice it once, once we get rolling. I, I mean, you, you sound great still. So that, that's, that's a plus. Usually when I'm, I'm out and about, uh, my voice tends to suffer for a few days. So that's, well, the I didn't real go to like a, a rager. I, I, I went to a nice, uh, a nice dinner. Well, uh, you've, that just you've been around me. into the, into the latter stages. And yes, you are an animal. I'm I'm a very happy loud New person. Year, buddy. I'm a very loud person. Happy New Year, Carter. Happy New Year to our listeners. Unfortunately, we did not start the New Year on the right foot as the Cavs lost to the Toronto Raptors. Always a, a tough one for me personally. I believe the Cavs are now one in ten in their last eleven games in Toronto, which sounds right. Uh, often, you know, we have been uh, shorthanded in a lot of these matchups or in weird scheduling situations. So I'm going to break out excuses right off the bat. Because uh, my pride won't let me to not. I think God just hates you. I I can't rule that out. I really cannot rule that out. But it is interesting. So I, I look at these two losses that the Cavs have had. Um, Donovan Mitchell has returned for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Obviously a big plus. I think he has been terrific in both of these games. I've really liked his overall game. Um, but you look at the two losses and in both of them. The Cavs struggled from behind the three-point line, generated good offensive looks, I think. Uh, A lot of nice open looks from three that just didn't go down. And the other thing has been they haven't got to the free-throw line at the same rate as their opponents. Uh, Toronto had 14 more attempts uh, than them. Uh, And Milwaukee, I believe it was 19. 19, 19. yeah. So They're minus 33 in free-throw attempt differential the last two games. Not a lot of fun. And 18 of 79. 18 to 79 from three of the last two games. So, you know, as we are often a process over results podcast, uh, I think we will live with a lot of the process, especially with the three-point looks that they've generated. But, you know, this, this was a tough loss because this was a, a game that, even though the Cavs were a underdog uh, from a betting standpoint coming into this game, it was a game that the Cavs could have won. Um, and they gave themselves opportunities down the stretch. They got consecutive stops when they needed to. Uh, and just weren't able to convert some of those looks. Uh, Donovan Mitchell post game um, did mention that you know some of that's on him, uh, both from you know a decision making and, and shot making standpoint. Um, but you know 
it's just tough because the Cavs have done such a good job over this stretch, navigating the injuries, overcoming, showing a lot of toughness. I thought they showed toughness coming back from down 19 and not letting some of the calls and, and bad breaks get to them in this one, but they just ultimately weren't able to come away with a win. Yeah, I do think it's probably for the best that we differentiate a little bit between the Milwaukee game and this one, just insofar as I thought they played an A-plus game in Milwaukee. I Agreed. really do. Uh, they just didn't finish plays. They just didn't hit their shots, and that's tough. You know, no one likes to see that, but I thought they played a great game pretty much start to finish uh, in Milwaukee is obscenely talented. And, um, you know, they got, they got some breaks down the stretch and they were able to win this one, I think was a bit more of an up and down performance to be sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a little slop, uh, there, I, you know, it, it, it kind of felt like at various times, just certain things Toronto was doing The the Cavs just didn't have the personnel to match. I mean, the, that first quarter, the second unit just got run off the floor. You know, yeah. that wasn't that wasn't shot making. That wasn't um, you know, bad breaks. That was, oh, we don't have the personnel <laughs> and and you are attacking us in all the right ways. And, and, and it's, it's in- tough. It, it's interesting too because you look at that like this matchup in general, I, I think is tough because Toronto is a team that has a lot of length and they put a lot of pressure on you at the rim. And obviously without Evan Mobley, you're not going to be playing with one of those elite rim protectors at all times. So that second uh, or that first quarter uh, stretch where the, the second unit really kind of gave Toronto their lead and was ultimately the the hole that was toughest to overcome for the Cavs this, in this game. That, I I really felt like the point of attack defense was kind of letting them down because Tristan isn't going to be the type of guy that um, cleans everything up. Uh, I didn't think it was a particularly good shift uh, from Craig Porter Jr. from that standpoint. I I thought he was being a little too active, uh, but not in the best position. Like, he he let his guy get by him a couple times. I think Gary Trent Jr. blew by him and then got him on a pump fake uh, to get to the free throw line. Um, You know, Niang really, really struggled in in those minutes, and that's that's one of those spots. Thank goodness, thank goodness he had such a nice run in the fourth because this. I think I think we might even be open in the game talking about how rough those Niang minutes were right. to start the game. Right, and when you don't have strong point of attack defense against a team with this kind of length that that can get to the rim at will, pretty much, that's really going to make things tough. And with, with the trade that Toronto made, like. I know OG Ananobi is a very good player, but I truly feel like Toronto became a better team as a result of the the deal because they have two guys that are now actual cap- actually capable of putting the ball on the floor. I think quickly is the most dynamic guard they've had in a very long time. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, some of it was he didn't have a, a pick and roll partner, but he would just kind of float outside the three point line uh, a lot of those games. And, and quickly is someone that runs a good pick and roll with, with Pirtle. Um, right off the bat, they had chemistry. He just he has that floater game. Uh, he still gives them length. RJ Barrett, even though his playmaking isn't strong, he is one of the few wings that will post up a mismatch at, at any time and, and can get to the free throw line. So I think they bring a lot of what Toronto needed. And makes their entire roster make more sense. Like Siakam makes more sense now that he has actual playmakers to play off of. Yeah, and he was awesome. And I agree. It was a great trade um, for Toronto. I think Toronto got a lot better. Maybe New York got better too. I'm yep. not sure. It's possible. Um, uh, I'm less sure on that front. But, I mean, they looked very, very good today in beating the 
the best team in the West in Minnesota. Um, so, you know, you got to give them their flowers there. They certainly got harder for the Cavs to beat because OG is a nightmare for a uh, matchup for Donnie historically. Yeah. Um, you know, going back, I, I do want to go back to the Niang thing because I was thinking like, you know, why obviously Embiid is a defensive player of the year level defender. He isn't a, just a monstrous figure in the paint and, you know, cleans up a lot of gunk, but what, well, you know, why, why does it feel so much more challenging with Niang. And I think a big part of it, especially with their lineups the Cavs are playing right now, is that the Sixers always had like another really big wing in Tobias Harris out there, mm. you know, uh, that that was playing a lot of those minutes alongside Niang. And, you know, like what I'll, and we also have the problem of we're not often playing a big wing that can go guard a guy like Siakam. So guess who's got to do it? It's got to be Jarrett. So guess who's guarding Jakob Pertl and acting as your primary rim protector? Yeah. George Niang. Like, the, like, this team really stresses a little bit of the lack of lineup versatility the Cavs have. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're so small on the perimeter still. And, you know, for all the calls to, for more Merrill minutes, for more CPJ minutes, guess what? You're going to be even smaller. So it's like, it's just, I feel like it's a really hard context for a guy like Niang to succeed in defensively. And then obviously the offense is just come and gone. You know, he only got up one three point attempt tonight. Um, and some, some odd, uh, some odd drives that just kind of didn't work. Uh, he threw up some floaters that did work Mm -hmm. uh, later in the game, which was awesome. But yeah, I I was just thinking about like, I just feel like this, this Raptors team is kind of tailor made to expose that. Like, they just aren't well built to protect a guy like Niang right now, uh, yeah. being as thin as they are. And when Niang was added to this team, we acknowledge right off the bat that there's going to be matchups where it's going to be harder to play him against. And I think Toronto is one of those. It's just unfortunate that, you know, you're down mobile, so you're four spot rotation becomes a little more difficult i think this is one where and wade had a bad game (laughs) yeah wade had a bad game and honestly you look at the three-point volume for niang Struess, and wade i think to some extent it's reflective of the ball movement or lack thereof from the Cavs tonight i i thought in the second half even though the Cavs had their run um where, where they were hitting some threes it was pretty stagnant i didn't feel like they were getting a lot of good offense and after what Max Struess did to Toronto in the last matchup where he just absolutely exploded in that third quarter, it really seemed like it was a point of emphasis for them to shadow him off ball, to stay in his jersey, to not allow him to kind of get free. And that, of course, also takes away the secondary playmaking from Struess because he's not catching the ball with advantage or attacking closeouts or things of that nature. So I I think when you see the lack of three-point volume from those guys— you got to give Toronto some credit uh, for for their off-ball defense and the length that they have, but it also makes the lack of shooting, or or the poor shooting, I should say, the 12 of 36 on the looks that you did get, so much more painful because, you know, the, a lot of those were open, clean looks that the Cavs just weren't able to convert on. Yeah, man. It's just, uh, it was a weird game. Um, uh, and and I, I think you're, you're spot on. The Strews stuff... I really think he's been missing Mobley recently. I think he's like something like 20% over his last five games yeah. uh, from three. Um, uh, it's, it's just not, it's not, he's not hitting. Um, yeah. And four or five uh, tonight. And uh, he had that tough one waved off where I think that was the first time I've ever seen in transition where they, they said that he had stepped out of bounds. I would have loved I to see replay. Th- 
I don't think he was out of bounds. I, we didn't have a clean angle, uh, but it looked pretty pretty clean to me. I mean, I, I um, got the Toronto broadcast, so um, I was never shown a replay of that. There, <laughs> there, I was so mad at the factual errors. Like they, they said that the Cavs had blown a 15-point fourth-quarter lead against Milwaukee, um, which obviously the Cavs won the fourth quarter against Milwaukee, so that's not exactly possible. Um, and then they also said the 4-2 uh, and two stretch that they had prior to that was Donovan Mitchell uh, carrying the team, which of course he did not play just, for the majority of the team. Um, yeah. uh, so it, I was it, I was frustrated throughout the night for for reasons. I beyond can't believe you don't show. watch on mute, buddy. This this, this <laughs> is so built to 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 trigger you. I know. Um, but but yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's just it's one of those things where it's really hard to you know. Part of you does want to just say, hey, they're not getting to the line and they're not hitting their threes, and that's a that's a pretty deadly combo. Though they got to the line quite a bit tonight, they just mm-hmm. didn't get to the line. Uh, 40 times though yeah. no, there was there was there was some intentional fouling there at the end that that pads those numbers if we're gonna if we're going to be fair yep. so I, I i don't know i would say the the of, of the losses i would say the milwaukee one was certainly the more enc- encouraging one um yep. but like i do think there's just a little bit of the fact that it's just hard to lose any games that you think you should probably win right now i know again they were dogs but like the raptors were 12 and 20 yeah, and, and the reality of this stretch is the Cavs have to play very hard and they have to play very consistently with, you know, shorthanded personnel in order to have a chance to win. Like, that Dallas game, you, you, as much as we talk about, you know, poor shooting luck in, in some of these games, they shot the lights out against Dallas. Like, they were phenomenal. They had positive shooting luck in that game. Uh, Luka Doncic, you know, was limping around in the second half and just wasn't as effective. He, he missed the next game or two after that, I believe. Um, so, like, there was a lot of things that went their way in, in a season that hasn't gone their way. Um, but you just can't have a stretch like you had tonight where, you know, the, the second unit um, was just so bad um, that it really put them in a hole that was tough to overcome because the starters, by and large, really good but you just had uneven play whether it's you know Niang having a tough first shift and then uh playing better in the third quarter Isaac Okoro had a really quiet first half and this is another one of those kind of tough matchups for Okoro on the other end of the floor where it's tough for him to get going offensively but he was a big part of the Cavs comeback where you know his point of attack defense was on point uh for was really really good on Barrett and quickly yeah, and, and Barrett had five turnovers in this game. A lot of, I think almost all of those were live ball turnovers that led to transition points. Uh, Okora was fantastic finishing in transition there. Um, obviously, Sam Merrill uh, was, was great in the fourth quarter and, and had a, a nice stretch for them. Like, I, I do actually want to talk about Sam Merrill because th- this has been a bit of a talking point post game, at least in our Discord and whatnot. So Merrill plays the first six minutes of the fourth quarter. Uh, Cavs go up three in, in that time. Uh, the five-point possession <laughs> happened uh, immediately after he checked out. But so Merrill devastating. Che- that, yeah. I felt like that was the play of the game. By the way, yeah, J- Jared Allen checks in for Sam Merrill at the <clears throat> six-minute mark because Scotty Barnes was checking in for t- Toronto. So Toronto was going to their you know full-size lineup after Merrill had played. Would you have gone back to Merrill later in the game? Uh, first off, I think Allen came for Tristan. Um, no, I, I, uh, I looked at the the play by play. It says uh, Allen came in for Merrill at well, that point. Tristan subbed out at the same time. Okay, uh, I am I am sure of that because well, I'm blaming ESPN never then. ESPN uh, yeah. has Trist- lied to Tristan me. Tristan and Jarrett never played together. Okay. Um, except for like a few box out possessions. But either way, um, I think 
this is a spot where you just kind of have to like i think sometimes you ride your hot lineup to the end of the game and sometimes you need to pivot away mm-hmm. and i think jb was right to pivot away in this yeah. instance um the reality and he was already starting to pivot away where he took niang out like i think a possession or two prior to that or a stoppage or two prior to that um and i think it was the right choice because we saw rj get into merrill's chest and finish over him Mm-hmm. We saw Scotty get into Merrill's chest and finish over him. We saw, and like, you just can't switch and help, you know, like you can't get mismatched in semi-transition when Toronto's playing this big. Yeah. And I I get it. Um, I don't think they lost the game because Sam Merrill wasn't in on, down the stretch. No. Like they generated clean looks for good shooters and those good shooters did not make those clean looks. Uh, obviously, you know, Levert also had a little bit of a, a heroics, um uh, on top of that which kept them as close as they were um but yeah i i don't know that just doesn't that didn't feel like a a thing and yeah isaac did take a pretty quick trigger three in the corner but like goes in you know again 37 38 three-point shooter has hit clutch ones in his career I, I'm. It, it came off his hand terribly. I knew it was missed right away. Yeah. Um, but, the, the, the first bad. one came off his hand terribly. The second one I actually thought was going to go in. And, and the first one, I think he was a little too open and almost put the ball on the floor and then like brought it back up. But we would be hypocrites if, if we said, hey, you, you can't take those shots because those are the shots that Okoro needs to take. Like I, I like seeing yeah. him take those shots. And to your point, like, Okoro was a big part of the the comeback initially to begin with. He had played great in his last shift. And it's just really tough when it's quickly RJ, Scotty, Siakam, and Pirtle. Like, you can't switch at all if it's Donovan and Merrill out there. And RJ is going to post up Merrill every time. You can't put Merrill on quickly because then Donovan with four fouls is on RJ. So, like, it's just not a, a, a position where... Like, you can't do anything defensively there. Like, I, I think yeah. it was the right call to put Okoro back in that game. And to your point, they, they had open looks. I would say it's a defensive co- defensible call. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I think like I think this one's kind of Coke or Pepsi. I don't think there is a right call. Because I do think Merrill was playing so freaking well. And, like, and by the way, talk about uh, taking the challenge. He, would, he was going chest to chest with quickly quite a bit. Uh, in, in the first I was six happy with how he de- how he competed defensively. Like I, I, I really liked the minutes from Sam Merrill, and um, I thought it was the correct call to go to him again uh, over Craig Porter Jr. because Craig just didn't have a great shift, and uh, Merrill was giving them what they needed on on a night where you couldn't hit threes. He was actually going out there and, and hitting some shots. Yeah, absolutely. I thought I thought his ISO defense on the guards was really really good, whether it was Schroeder or quickly. Um, it was just, you know, they were so big. They're so big, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, okay, like if Darius Garland's out there, you're going to deal with that and you're going to help in different ways. And you're going to, you're going to shade and cause it's Darius Garland. But like, yeah. man, I, you know, but I get kind of going like, Hey, you know, if it's between Merrill and Okoro and we need to get two or three stops to close this game, we're up three, you know? Why not? You know, I get it. Did, did you see the uh, Dan Favalli tweet uh, about Merrill? Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I think it's one of my favorites. I, I got to read it out. Sam Merrill has the shooting form of someone who holds Papa Shot records at a dozen Dave and Buster's locations across the Midwest. I love yeah, that. I mean, he's so he true. Was, <laughs> yeah, that, that's it's very true. And he's just, I, and I'm really, really glad he had this game, by the way, because me too. 
he goes on this, you know, uh, when you're a guy like Sam Merrill, your career can be defined by two or three game stretches. You know, there were times, you know, to, to call on a former Cavalier, Dylan Windler, there were two, three game stretches where he would get the opportunity and it just didn't, it didn't happen. He was getting clean looks and they just weren't going in or he wasn't taking them. And, you know, he get then he gets hurt again and it doesn't work out, you know? So like Merrill goes on that two game stretch where he scores 46 points uh, against Houston and Utah. And you're like, okay, this, you got your chance. You're making the most of it. And now like, Maybe you're going to be a guy who just plays for, his, for the rest of the year. Then he hurts his wrist and you go, oh, no. Yeah. He, he, you know, he guts through like 12 minutes against New Orleans. Then, you know, doesn't shoot particularly well against Milwaukee. And you're like, oh, man, did he did? Did he just get extraordinarily unlucky right as he was starting to break out? So the fact that he comes out in this one after a few days off, scores 16 points in 17 minutes, spaces the floor well, rebounds well, uh, pretend, you know, challenged scotty barnes at the rim on one possession which i was oh really God. really proud of um because he would have been well justified to make a business decision there but ends up forcing a miss uh by going straight up guarding the rim uh a really cool game for him and again i can't help but feel like he kind of needs to be getting run you know throughout the rest of the year if he's gonna play like this mm-hmm. like because he does provide something a little different, even if that means no backup point guard minutes. Yeah, I was about to say, so you would lean towards him if you're healthy over Craig Porter Jr.? Yeah, and uh, if they're fully healthy, I might lean towards him over uh, either Dean or George, depending on the uh, depending on the matchup. I can see that, because the, the tricky thing for the Cavs, and, and from a rotation standpoint with JB, is... It's very tough because right now you want to have Mitchell out there for primary ball handling. And then when you go to the second unit, you want to stagger a bit and have Karras out there. And and Karras, you know, had a a phenomenal game, uh, I thought, overall tonight. It's very tough to also stagger Karras and Craig. And like Craig needs to have the ball in his hands and Karras is comfortable with the ball in his hands. So you really start to get into a tough situation with those secondary minutes where you know, if Craig is playing off ball, he's not going to have a lot of gravity. And uh, in matchups like this, where, where there's a lot of length, he's just not able to help in the same ways offensively. So I, I get the case for that, because if Karras is your secondary ball handler or your second unit ball handler, it does get tougher to, to play Craig Porter Jr. in those minutes. As much as I like him as a stabilizing presence, and I thought he was obviously great down the stretch in Milwaukee, which showed that, hey, he can bounce back from not making the most of his first half minutes. But, you know, it's just one of those things where the Cavs just, even though they have talented players, even in this injured state, the fit and the lineup versatility, as you said, can be tricky at times. Yeah, well, they're just real, real small on the perimeter. And then they, you know, kind of, you know, they only have one big, (laughs) that, you know, one and a half bigs. depending on how, you know, Tristan is running on a given night. Yeah. Um, and it, and it just makes things weird for them. Um, you know, they, they definitely are kind of in search of, you know, some of that flexibility. And like, I feel like right now, one of the downsides of how beat up they are is every lineup has like one scab to pick at for the mm. opponent, you know? 
Um, which like, oh, of course, of course, you're missing two of your three best players and uh, two two players that you know do very very special and unique things for you. So mm-hmm. of course, uh, you're gonna have a lot less versatility and you're gonna have to make more difficult choices in the lineups you're running, which I think is kind of the crux of that. Should Merrill have stayed in? And the other reason I think you, I'm okay with sitting Merrill is he played the first six minutes of the quarter. You're not going to play him the whole quarter. Like, <laughs> like, like there is a degree of which, like, I guess maybe you could have kept him in a little longer, but, um, you're, but, you know, I think it's one of those counterfactuals that people love when they want to, when they want to pick at coaches, which is to be like, well, if he had stayed in, they would have kept scoring. And it's like, well, would they have? I don't know. Yeah. Or would they have not been able to get stops? It's, you know, it's impossible to know. Um, but like, I thought the, again, I thought the call was justifiable. I think this is one of those games where single game plus minus lies. You, Isaac was minus 18 worst on the team mm-hmm. uh, in, in his 27 minutes. I don't think that really represented, you know, reality of how he actually played uh, right. in this game. And, I thought he was giving them good minutes, so I, I totally get him getting being out there. Yeah, and you got to remember that these these guys are humans. They do need rest. Uh, they don't have unlimited stamina if they're going to continue to be effective. But Noah doesn't need time off, Carter, and can just keep going. Zoom. It's always there for us. It's always providing the support. It's got unlimited stamina. Big shout out to Zoom. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. I do want to go back because I I think we skipped over it uh, just a little too quickly of how Donovan Mitchell has played in these two games. It is obviously great to see him come back from the illness um, and showing, you know, not being worse for wear. I I think he has taken on the primary playmaking duties really well. Um, I I had critiques about him earlier in the year in the minutes that he was playing without Darius. And I, I do think that he has been playing more team basketball and, I've been happy with with just his overall game. I think his effort has been phenomenal. His defense has been great. Had four steals tonight. I believe he had uh, three stocks against Milwaukee as well. So he's doing it on both ends of the court as well as contributing on the glass. I The one thing I've noticed, though, uh, with Mitchell being back is I feel like sometimes the players he's out there are a little... They do, they tend to defer to him a little too much when when they played without Donovan because they understood that they were without Donovan and they were without Darius, they were willing to take those shots right away when they got them. And they're just a half beat slow. Sometimes they're, they're looking I think that's to, a Dean Wade critique. The last two games, Dean, Dean, especially Dean is the first player that, that comes to mind when it comes to this. Uh, I believe he's even in our uh, show notes here. Um, but I, I just feel like they need to be as assertive and they need to take those open shots when they're available and not just look to give it up to Donovan because that was part of what made them so effective during this run. And it's a change in, you know, playing with Donovan, but it's not his fault. It's almost a little bit like, you know, with, with the Heatles when LeBron and Wade, it took them some time to figure out how to play with one another. Obviously these guys have more of a run together, but it's just one of those things from a a chemistry standpoint where they have to be confident enough in their own games to say, I I'm going to remain assertive no matter who's out there. I, I think when the Cavs are at their best, that's how they're playing. Yeah. I mean, outcome hunters among us will that, you know, that are, you know, have an agenda 
will kind of say something like, oh, you know, Donovan comes back and all of a sudden they're playing stagnant ball. And it's like, are they or did they just miss a bunch of threes? Yeah. You know, are they or did Dean Wade pass up three three open shots that he had mm-hmm. uh, on, on, on kickouts? Um, and I think, you know, I've, it's clear where I stand on this because, like, you know, is Donovan pounding the rock and keeping Sam Merrill from getting up 11 shots in 17 minutes? No. Sam <laughs> has been told... Hey Sam, if you want to play for us on the floor, you have to shoot every time you touch the ball with with a with a millimeter of space. So guess what? When he shared the floor with Donovan, he was getting clean looks that he was taking aggressively. So yep. like, I do think Donovan's playmaking has been much improved uh, comparatively to the first chef. The you know some some earlier lead ball handling stretches in the year that I think we were you know relatively critical of. Um, and I do think, I mean, especially against Milwaukee, I thought he was phenomenal yeah. uh, as a scorer. Uh, you know, just absolutely beyond uh, phenomenal. 14 is 23 from the field where, you know, of his nine misses, eight of them were on threes. <laughs> it, so it was a tough I, game he for went, the uh, conspiracy yeah, he went twelve of 13. He went 12 of 13 from two with nine assists and two turnovers. Yeah. You know, he couldn't make a shot, to, a three to save his life. Uh, which you know, welcome to the club. He had a lot of lot of friends on that bus uh, in that game, but like you know, super efficient in this one, a little less so. Um, you know, went eight of twenty one from the field. Uh, but o- overall, I thought he he had another really really good game, and uh, it's been nice to have him back. I think this is one of those things where it's like you do have to pay closer attention if you want to. Like, I guess if you want to be one of those causality people, you could be like. Well, Donovan comes back, and then they lose two games in a row. It's like, well, you know, sure, mm-hmm. I guess, but like, I, 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 it's not one of those things where, like, they were playing a certain way and they completely forgot who they were uh, when Donovan returned. I think they just haven't made shots, and I think you know, I frankly, I think they've lost it more on the defensive side of the ball these last two games yep. uh, the, than the offensive side in the first place. Uh, I do want to talk about Karras. I, I think we needed to hit on Karras a little harder in this one because uh he yet again had a monster game he had 31 points on 20 shots and i'm gonna a little pop quiz justin how many mid-range uh shots did karis lavert take tonight i'm gonna guess zero that is correct hell yeah uh he went uh in in, uh, in the restricted area he went seven of nine uh in the rest of the paint he went three of four uh, top of the break three he went to a five and corner he went over two. Um, I thought this was a really cool game for Karras for a couple of reasons. One, uh, obviously the shot diet was awesome. Uh, he did exactly, you know, he he with with the Raptors playing that high pressure in your chest kind of defense, like dribbling into mid rangers is really not the move. You need mm-hmm. to get past them because they're going to open up space behind them. Uh, because they're playing, you know, they're pressing you so hard. Um, and I thought his finishing was phenomenal tonight. You know, I think Karras has been one of those guys that can be a little maddening uh, as a scorer because he'll get this clean angle to the rim and then just put the wrong kind of English on the layup or or take a bad bad kind of shot trajectory against a big or not dunk it when he just needs to dunk it. And he was finishing in all sorts of ways. He was floating it up over Pirtle. He was ducking in for reverses. He had that one absolutely should have been an and one on his dunk where he got hit in the back of the head. Um, Just an awesome, awesome paint game for Karras tonight. And I thought he deserved a lot of credit because 
you know, this is one of those games where it's like, hey, just do this. This is this is like you you are such a big two guard, uh, and you're a good athlete. Like you can do this if you just you know attack in straight lines and generate really clean angles for yourself. Because I thought he did a really good job. He didn't have to do a lot of circus shots in this one. Yeah, it was a lot of I got to the spot faster than you, and I'm six seven, yeah. and that goes a long way. Yeah, and, and I've liked his willingness to, to shoot as well. Uh, taking seven threes is great here. The the one area where his you know his three point shoot shot has really struggled this year is with those pull ups. Uh, he's shooting twenty nine percent on pull up threes coming into this game for for the season. Last year was thirty nine percent and thirty six percent the previous year. So uh, you know you're hoping that that uh, get, gets a little bit better. But I just really liked this game overall. Uh, the Raptors broadcast was, was ranting and raving about how much they they like Karis Levert and what a luxury he is coming in off the bench and. Um, when when he's playing this well, it does make it harder to to play Craig, right? Like I, I think in games where, where Karras is struggling, maybe that's where you go because you, you need a, a bit more of a steady hand out there. Um, but he he was playing really really good basketball. I think his defense has been you know consistently undervalued throughout his Cavs tenure. I, I really like how he competes on the defensive end of the floor. I I just think you know people had already kind of made up their mind on on Karras and don't give him the same leeway as some of the other players and some of the younger guys on the Cavs get. Um, but I, I do think more consistently than not, he is a, a helpful and effective player for, for Cleveland. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I just, I, I just thought he deserved a lot of credit for, I mean, they, he kept them in this game just like he kept them in, uh, in, in that Dallas game. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God. Uh, when, when, huge. When, th- when things were rough uh, and, and I cannot believe you missed that that uh, left wing three uh, oh. where, where Toronto messed up the switch because that shot has been just absolute butter for him. Uh, what, what did you think of his decision to to go for the quick two? Uh, oh, hated Lincoln. it. Th- thank you. Actually, I meant to I meant to talk about this. The Cavs are a quick two team, and okay. I would like them to not be a quick two team. Uh, it is such a low percentage play. Um, especially since they, they're not doing a particularly good job against a team like Toronto mm-hmm. of forcing the ball to their bad free throw shooters. Like, you got to trap off of Pirtle and force it into his hands if you're going to play this kind of strategy down the stretch. Okay. Uh, and the reality is, the other reason why the quick two is needs to be a dead strategy for the team is because of the honorless, pitiful disgusting to the basketball god strategy of fouling up three because yeah. that's what the quick two does what when you're down when you're down three and you go for a quick two what you're saying is we're gonna foul you and hope you split it so we can we would love for you to miss both but you're probably not gonna do it you're probably gonna split it and maybe we'll get a cleaner look at a three later in the game that's really yeah. what you're looking for but with the foul up three strategy kind of pervasively taking over the league so many p- times down the stretch of games, you just don't get the chance to shoot the three. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is not new. The Cavs have done this quite a bit. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know, and I don't think that's a decision from Karis as much as it seems to be an organizational philosophy okay. of we're going to try to run a set, and if not, go run towards the hoop and get a two. But like, 
especially I, I in this i thought in this instance it might have been a karis decision only because maybe Hurdle was maybe. guarding him at half <laughs> maybe but they've done this more than once and that's I why agree. i think it i think it is a coaching staff type of decision uh and of course who knows maybe i'm just way wrong um but like the the fact I, of the I matter still think is it's interesting as like a philosophical conversation yeah of it's, whether or and not it's, and it's a right. i think it's a bad i think it's, it needs to be a dead philosophy it really yeah. does because it's just the math is tilted with the foul up three strategy that you're just you you're you're now asking for like 14 factors to get it to 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 happen yeah. for that to happen making matters worse they inbounded the ball at half court like you can do a quick two if Jarrett sets a screen and slips towards the hoop and you can inbound it straight to him and he dunks it and you burn like a quarter of a second. They burned like eight seconds to get that quick two with 15 seconds left. Yeah. You can't do that. It's, it, it is a losing strategy. And like, and I just think this is a spot where you're going to have to, you're going to have to adjust to the times. And I, I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, I, I, you've sold me on this. Um, I hate the foul up three. Um, it's I, gross, and I'm so glad the Cavs don't do it, even if they should. Oh yeah, yeah Max Drews blocking Seth Curry instead of fouling him. That that's that's what I want to see. I, I want to see honest basketball out here. It is frustrating that after you got the quick two and you're up one, that Siakam travels on the inbound. And, oh and, yeah, I mean it's it sucks to have a missed call of that importance. And, and he had traveled twice on inbounds in the last two minutes, which is infuriating. Uh, and and know, it kind of seemed like Luke Walton was like sending the ref like, "Hey, I told you to look for this dude." <laughs> <laughs> and like, like, it's it's enough that he gets to travel and elbow his way to the rim all game. Like, l- let's at least enforce it there. That that was a little bit frustrating, but um, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I, I wish teams were were more honest and, and would, would play it straight up. I, I think the thing that sucks is I don't even know how you legislate that one out because like an yeah, intentional foul like. Yeah. Like it, it's just it. It's one of those things where it's like it's not like a take foul where yeah. it's going to be its own thing. Oh, I would um, I would have been mad if you know what I I understood them calling it a, a clear path foul. Uh, when when Donovan was going for Scotty, I was going to be really mad if that was a, a take foul because, um, I I think again it was our our friend of the podcast Ben Cox that said this where if you have to go to review to figure out if it's a take foul, it shouldn't be like it, spirit yeah. of it should be only when it's very blatant and obvious. Um, but yeah, th- that, that was very, very frustrating to, to watch. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, like you did, you probably should have had a chance to win the game uh, yeah. and you, and you didn't get it. And that sucks. But like the, re- but you have to play the percentages here. And I just think that, that, the the if you're doing running like a probability model i think finding your way to attempting a three uh is just gonna like the 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 number of outcomes that lead to a made three uh like you know down down three with 14 seconds left i'm sure your win probability is like less than 10 percent anyway yeah but like i just think you get you get closer if you find a way to jack up a three even if it's a tough off the dribble three for Donovan or Karras. I think you have to find a way to get that attempt. And then then what, you know, all sorts of craziness can happen from there. You yeah. can get long offensive rebounds that get kicked out for more open threes. How often do we see that, Justin? Yeah. You know, the Coral like, game winner uh, against Brooklyn, yeah. right? Like the quick two opens up nothing. Yeah. You know, it just it just makes it so you have a chance to foul probably their best free throw shooter because they're probably going to be able to inbound it. Yeah. Their best free throw shooter. Uh, and and hope they somehow miss both. 
Yeah. Like it's just like the outcomes are too limited, and I think I think that's something. If I'm if I'm on the Cavs coaching staff, it's something I'm 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 taking a hard look at. Yeah, I I think you raise a good point, and also just you know having the 14 seconds to get your best possible look because when it's down to that seven seconds, you can run into the type of situation that the Cavs were on the opposite end of against Dallas, where all right, you you draw your play for the inbound, you get the the the, the trap, a well timed trap or something that blows it up. There's just not any opportunities to go to your counters, right? Like it's similar to how we wanted the Cavs to go earlier in the shot clock of running their offense and. That's been one of my favorite changes of the Cavs offense this year is they do go earlier in the shot clock and you are able to get to second and third sets and other looks depending on what the defense is doing. So I, I completely agree with that. Um, I, I think we should also mention that Jared Allen was phenomenal uh, again. Uh, I, I really liked his minutes in this game. Obviously a, a career best night for him against the Bucks with uh, 30 points. And I, I've just been so impressed with how assertive he's been. And he's another one of those guys, like when we talk about, you know, Wade not looking to de- defer when, when he gets the ball with advantage and, and uh, everyone else on the perimeter. I feel the exact same way with Jared Allen. Like when Mobley comes back, whether it's in, you know, the 32 minutes where we're playing with just one big on the court and, and he's the primary center or uh, wh- whether it's when they're together, he has the same ability to attack when he has an advantage when the you know when the opposing center is looking off him because they're expecting him to pass and set somebody else up, I love his attacks and his finish and the touch he's showing. Um, he had that drop step on on Jakob Pertle late in the game where uh, just completely got him out of the way and, and had that nice finish. Couldn't believe that that he didn't get the and one uh, that that it didn't drop late in the game as well. Uh, but I, I've just been so impressed with him. I've been so happy with his assertiveness and. You know, I, I, I love to see that the conversation around Allen has completely changed amongst the fans. They're like, oh, my God, this guy's awesome. This is the, the top 10 center. Like, we, we do tend to have the, the memory of a goldfish when, when it comes to Cavs players sometimes. Uh, but I've just been so, so impressed. And it's a reminder that, hey, he just turned 25 years old. He is entering his prime as a player. Like, he's still on an upward trajectory. And sometimes we forget about that with guys that are more finished product already. If I may pick some nits uh, about his game tonight, I refuse. Uh, you know, as compared to his game uh, against Milwaukee, I do think there was a degree of that same tentativeness. You know, I think tonight was a night where he probably could have gotten up fifteen to twenty shots. Um, Jakob was playing in such a deep drop. You know, that possession you cited near the end where, you know, he was running some DHO, Jakob was sitting under the rim, so he just drove into his chest and, you know, pivoted into a, a like a frankly easy jump hook. Yeah. I think he had that all night. He didn't take a single mid-ranger tonight uh, when when he had those with, with Toronto in a drop. And I think the Cavs could have used some of those attempts. Um, uh, I, I just, I, I do think there was a difference in how he attacked Milwaukee's drop compared to how he attacked Toronto's. Um, And I think that level of, I think he should rely on that mid-range jumper a little more because I think it's pretty pure. Uh, I think the numbers back up that he makes them at a good rate. I thought I could not believe the extent to which he was taking them against Milwaukee. Like clearly (sighs) like he was a man possessed um, taking them from like all parts of the floor. You know, it was like a full 15, (laughs) 
foot arc around the hoop. It was like his own personal line that he was just kind of operating on an axis. When he banked that one in, I was like, all right, oh. this is just his night. <laughs> yep. But like, I thought he could have done that more. You know, I, I th- actually think this is the kind of night where he should have finished with, you know, 20 to 25 points, not, not 16. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, an- another efficient night. Uh, he's up to 2.7 assists a game, a uh, full, full assist better than his career best. Um, so he, he really is taking a leap right now, but yeah, I think he actually, I think he left some meat on the bone tonight compared to how he's played the last couple games. Yeah. And, and last season he was second on the team in terms of mid range percentage, just behind Donovan Mitchell uh, at 46%. Uh, th- this year he is up to 57%. Uh, he's in the 98th percentile when it comes to mid range jumpers. And you know, like if that shot is available, he needs to take it. It is the exact same thing that we say when, with Evan Mobley, where when the drop is there and they're giving you that kind of space, you have to keep the defense honest. You have to take those shots. And that that was a bit of the conversation against Milwaukee too, where it's like, man, you know, Cavs are six of 43 from three. Like they, they should have kept, you know, may, maybe they shouldn't have taken threes. Maybe they should have gone for other looks. And I, I think the Cavs' ability to get to the rim was part of why they were able to stay in that game to begin with, right? Like, I, I don't think it's, like, a Boston-type offense where if the three isn't falling, they're not generating looks any other way. You need to still take those open threes. Like, when they're available, if you are passing up an open three, you are not going to generate a good look on offense eight out of ten times. Like, you have to take those open shots, whether it's the mid-range shot for Allen and Mobley or if these open threes— I I know it sucks to to miss open looks. You're going to have probably 10 games a year that you win because you had great shot luck and you're going to lose 10 a year because you had bad shot luck. That's just the reality of today's NBA. And I I should give a shout out to our our buddy, Michael Keefe uh, from Garage Beers. I I was about to bring up this conversation because that was interesting. I, I... Because he was talking about how he didn't like the term shot luck. And I I know some of our listeners feel the same way. Um, And he says, you know, like it really has to come down to it, to execution of of hitting those looks. And I agree with them. There's a luck component. There's an execution component. But whether you side with luck or execution, the end result from an analysis standpoint is the same thing. They got to make shots. Like that's, there's nothing interesting that you can add to the conversation. In my opinion, it's whether or not you make shots. And from an analysis standpoint, I always just default to, are you producing or are you generating wide open looks for yourselves? Or are you giving up wide open looks for the opponent? If the answer is no, and uh, you know, uh, you're not giving up open looks, but the opponents are, are hitting everything. That's negative shot luck. It sucks. It happens, you know, uh, sometimes throughout a season but like from an offensive standpoint if you're getting open looks you have to take those looks whether you want to call it execution whether you want to call it luck it's a bit of both but the end result is the same you gotta you gotta make those looks yeah i think it's it's all wallpaper in the end for the same conversation you know one thing that i do think is kind of funny is um i do feel like if we started saying uh shot execution Instead of shot luck, I think people would kind of be would only want us to define the Cavs shooting by ex- execution. Like Correct. it'll be execution if it's the Cavs. It's luck if it's the other team. Yeah. <laughs> like if the other team, the other team misses a bunch of open threes, and we won't be like, oh, we got lucky. Or we we will be like, oh, we got lucky. Not uh, not, not that they didn't execute well. Yeah. You know. Um. So like, it, I just feel like it's kind of one of those 
And I try ways to point that to, out. I try to point so, that yeah, out. Yeah, like, of course, of course. Yeah. I, I just think it's all, you know, so whether you call it luck, whether you call it execution, what we're really trying to say is we cannot control how well a shooter shoots on a given night. And mm-hmm. there is a lot of evidence to suggest that even the best shooters run hot and run cold on given nights. And sometimes it leaves their hands really well. Jalen Brunson went one of nine from three uh, today. Like, you yeah. know, Steph Curry, didn't he go over nine in the finals? Uh, yeah, in I'm, I'm sure, sure Jalen Brunson would say, I shot like, you know, crap. Um, yeah. But like, but like, you know, the reality is over the course of a sample, I think that's, I think, I think it's kind of an analytical way to just describe it as luck. We're not yeah. just saying like, oh, well, the gods were against us on this, on this day. Uh, you know, perhaps the stars will align for us better. No, we're just trying to use a statistical term to to, to define kind of the phenomenon. So, and, and this you know, is old- also where me being, you know, a Canadian and growing up watching a lot of hockey, like that's a big, big part of the conversation. Like the hockey advanced stats is basically, did you generate enough opportunities on nets? Because whether or not it goes in is very often coming down to luck. Like puck yeah. luck is uh, such a common term. And it's the exact same thing when it comes to three-point shots. Like, if even for anyone that's played basketball, like, you can be a good, consistent shooter. And, you know, often that's reflected, like, in free throw percentage for the most part. But there's some days where it's like, okay, everything that's leaving my hand is dropping. Like, I, I'm throwing up junk and it's going in. And then there's other days where it's you just can't get the right feel on the ball. And, and you know, it feels good sometimes leaving your hand and it doesn't go in. Like, that's just the reality of the sport. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why we have been harping on three point volume for so many years in a row now. Which is like, hey, if we're if we're gonna kind of live and die by this thing, we'd at least like a large enough sample that reflects our shooting talent yeah. uh, over the course of the year that gives us that kind of variance that that kind of plays in our favor. So when we have a hot shooting night, we're killing teams, not we're just doing well because we only got up thirty attempts. Yeah. Um, uh, regarding volume, uh, NBA University just tweeted out Sam Merrill currently leading the NBA in three point attempts per 100 possessions. <laughs> would you believe that? I, 17. Of I would believe one. that. Did, did you see 17.1? That? Curry's at 16.3. Tim Hardaway Jr.'s at 14.8. So he's he's in first by a lot. <laughs> that shot he took in transition was psychotic. Like he yeah. hit that, and I was like, I, I I'm pretty sure that was probably the one that inspired the Favali tweet because oh my god like that that was such a confident look and and I'm just I I'm with you I I think as much as I'm a long term believer of Craig Porter Jr. and I I want him to see him you know depending on the matchup continue to get opportunities and if he plays well uh, earn more minutes throughout those individual games in general I lean Merrill in terms of what this team needs and um you know. It, it's tough because we do need playmaking. Like I, I look at the the slump that Max Drews is in, and uh, I think it's reflective of not playing with you know a, an experienced point guard. We are still down our first, second, and third string point guard, and you look at the difference in shooting percentage for him in games where Garland plays and not. It is staggering. Um, but you know, ultimately, I, I think getting shooting really matters, and I. I honestly think Merrill runs good offense. Like he's not just floating around the three point line. He got to the basket and had some nice finishes in this one. He makes the right passes. I think he uh, competes well defensively and is in the right position. So I I just, I I think from an experience standpoint, from an execution standpoint, and just understanding what the offense needs in the stretch, I I tend to lean Merrill. 
Yeah, I think that's uh, that's fair, and I agree with you, buddy. Uh, I think I think if if the core lineups are not going to be high three point shooting lineups, then you need to inject it everywhere you you can find it. You know, I've said this. You know, this was kind of a big part of the thesis of why I liked the idea of bringing in a Struson and a Yang this offseason was like, hey, our starting five are, pro- you know, we're going to be starting two dudes and playing two dudes 30 plus minutes that will likely attempt zero three point attempts. Mm-hmm. So if we want to be a 40 plus attempt team, then everyone else has got to be willing to shoot, yep. you know? Um, and like, I think, you know, Merrill's clearly d- demonstrated that in spades you know i mean leading the league and and uh in comfort level and letting that thing fly and i, I want to continue to see it mm-hmm. before we wrap this up carter i, I want to get your thoughts what did you think of the uh, new york knicks trading their uh, best two young assets in terms of players uh to the toronto raptors it seems a little bit odd <laughs> um you know i uh it, it it's just such an interesting tra- trade you know because yeah. they didn't touch their their pick stash at all mm-hmm um and you know it's it's an enormous i think they had eight they have eight tradable firsts correct um which is a lot more than most teams now a lot of those firsts are you know in, of the variety that are like protected for nine years and are, yeah. and and the protections you know, are, are insane on them yes and and are really hard for them to convey and actually turn into firsts of any value um but with that said I do think it's interesting. I do think it means that if they were going to try to trade for a true third star, because I think even the biggest OG Ananobi fans would tell you he's a high end role player. Um, you know, he's he's kind of a kind of a great fifth guy in a starting lineup or a fourth guy in a starting lineup, not not a high volume superstar. Um, if they want to find that, it does seem like they're going to have to get a lot more creative. They're probably going to have to take, you know. Because most teams trading a star are going to want an elite player, an elite young prospect, and a boatload of picks these days. Yeah. Um. And you know, like, and if if you want to buy a great player with picks only, it's probably going to be in that Dejounte Murray class uh, of you know that sub. That guy that might make one or two all stars in their career, and, and that's been all the follow up reporting too, right? From from yeah. Nick's beat writers and whatnot. Yeah. So like, it if they want a, a super duper star, it's going to have to be one of those things where they go get a young prospect with three or four of those firsts, and then get that and reroute that to whoever they're getting the star from mm-hmm. with another three firsts. It's it gets a lot more complicated. I think the fact that Grimes has kind of stalled out is a real problem for them on that front. Like you kind of thought Grimes could be that next young stud that, you know, if he and quickly had equivalent value, how nice would that be? Yeah. Um, and, and of course they're going to have to pay OG. So it's not like they're going to be a, a free agency player anytime soon. Um, so like, I think their road to that star has gotten a little bit more hard, uh, even though I think ultimately their flexibility is probably a little bit better just because of the fact that OG is so such a great complimentary player. Yeah. You know, there was no iteration of the Knicks, even when they added a player, you know, it, it's just tough, you know, like the Cavs have a hard enough time trying to build a contender with two, six, one, six, two guys in, in their best five. Yeah. And those, and those two are significantly more talented than, than, you know, Brunson and quickly, I would say. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting move. 
I think, you know, uh, if you're a Cavs fan, you can read the tea leaves on kind of what that might mean. Um, well, I mean, Carter, they, it was the worst kept secret in the league that one the Knicks were getting. First, it was Carl Anthony Towns at the draft. Then it was Embiid. Then it was Giannis. Then it was Donovan. Like, you know, it it's just one of those reminders that people are going to make assumptions from the outside, and there's always going to be a lot. They're going to be real confidently wrong. Yeah, <laughs> people are, are comfortable with that, especially you know content makers like Bill Simmons and whatnot, who you know still the best in the game when it comes to producing content, but are going to be loud wrong in the process many times. But um, it, you know, I, I think it, it's definitely interesting from that standpoint, and it's to me it's a reminder to not let a lot of the noise affect how you view the league and, and, and your team and whatnot because you know people are, are going to make guesses and people are going to make assumptions but ultimately like it, I, all you can really do is focus w- on what's going on on the court um i think that's why we try to do that on, on the podcast because there's always going to be rumors there's going to be noise and whatnot but ultimately what what makes this league great and what why i love this sport is the 82 games and um the speculation is fun and whatnot but we really nobody knows for 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 sure what what's going on out there absolutely buddy uh and and if i may uh suggest Cavs fans continue i'll say it a billion times uh you know uh watch watch games as a fan um and just enjoy that enjoy the process of of, of watching the team try to figure stuff out like i feel like focusing on the macro stuff is interesting um conceptually but the second you start letting the macro stuff drive your fanhood, mm-hmm. like it's just kind of a road to misery, you know, because you don't have any control over it. And obviously you don't have control over the games, but like the games are like what you're actually spending all your time doing <laughs> watching. So like I just I would always push everyone to that side because it's just, you know, in the end, like it, it's it's the more fun way to experience things like it's nice just to watch a Cavs Raptors game and be grumpy about the result yeah, without having to worry about like bigger implications. Mm-hmm. Oh man. We're, we're just under a month or just over a month away from the, the trade deadline. And-, and we freaking love trade deadline. I'm not saying like you can't have fun with it. I'm yeah. just saying like, don't let that be the number one. I, I think there is a degree to which it's just easier for us as in our brains as like dorky basketball fans to cosplay as a GM than it is to cosplay as a coach yeah. or or a player, you know? So, like, we almost lean towards what you can relate to better, and we all have fired up 2K and done the trade finder. Um, so, like, I do think there's, you know, it's certainly fun. It's certainly interesting. It's just, like, I, I'm trying to let just have fun with that side of it and focus more on, you know, for mo- mo- more of my analytical mind on the game-to-game process because it's just frankly like it's the more interesting thing it's not only we don't have control over any of it but you know what happens on the floor is is within the realm of control of the players that are on the floor which is a lot more fun than any machinations it's what we spend 82 nights over a six-month period doing right like i i think that that needs to be remembered uh it'll you know it's disappointing uh that the Cavs weren't able to to steal either of these games um uh, you know I, i think bit of bad luck that toronto had this trade uh because I, I really do feel like it uh, well i'm not even just saying this uh the broadcast was mentioning it how Pirtle and all those guys were saying it breathed life into the organization like that that arena was the loudest it's been in a long time uh i think the, the raptors had, had been kind of stagnant and, and it gave them the juice that they needed um but the Cavs now have an opportunity here they're, they're you know they're still a game and a half out of fourth uh even with this loss 
They have a three-game homestand before they head to Paris with Washington, Washington, and San Antonio. Got to take care of business. You got to go win these games. Then after that that Paris trip, you're at the four-week window where a return from Garland becomes possible. Uh, you know, it still may take five or six weeks, but you start to get into the possible return for Garland, and I, I think that's going to make things a whole lot easier. So I, I think the worst is behind uh, the Cavs when, when it comes to the injury luck. You know, knock on wood. Uh, hopefully we, we get healthier from this point on, but um, I think overall they have navigated this stretch incredibly well. Uh, we will be going live after Wednesday's game. Big thanks to everyone that stayed up and, and tuned in after the loss tonight. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe. Click the notification bell so you know when we're going live on YouTube. If you're listening via podcast and you want to support us, leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cavs.